Jesus came to set right all that was broken by sin. And so for us, when we come into a home that is falling apart, that is occupying all of a family's thoughts and energy, and they can't hardly do anything outside of deal with the fact that they live in a house that's not warm, safe, or dry, when we can remove barriers and restore broken things in this world, it is not just a means to get a foot in the door to talk about Jesus. That in itself, we really believe, is proclaiming God's kingdom and is saying, look, this is just a, a tiny reflection of what God has done, but through Jesus, He is setting all things right. Hey, it's time for Mid-South Viewpoint. Good afternoon and welcome to the show. I'm Byron Tyler. Glad to be back in the studio after uh, dealing with a, a bout of the flu, and uh, that's been going around. Hopefully it hasn't hit your home or your life. Let me tell you what, it's miserable. I honestly would not want my worst enemy and I say that seriously to have it because it's awful. I mean, it's just one of those things you don't want to have. Then you get a, a secondary infection of some other issues afterwards. And then finally, you know, you're on the mend. But it's always good to be here and visit with our guest. Really looking forward to Philip Walkley. Philip and I have met several years ago. He is the executive director of SOS Service Over Self. What That's a right. great organization here in the city of Memphis. We're going to get a little backstory just to remind our friends. But, Philip, good to see you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. We follow each other on social media, and <laughs> I've been following your adventures uh, in these incredible mountain climbs and this gorgeous scenery with you and your family. And I said, I got to get with Philip. You know, it just, it just kind of <laughs> reminded me we really need to get together. Yeah. Not just to talk about the fun in the wilderness, but mm. what's happening through the ministry of SOS, bringing our friends up up to date on Bot Radio Network. Matter of fact, the last time we got together was at Mitchell Heights neighborhood. Yeah, you came out to the neighborhood, yeah, I think. Yeah. Yeah, we were actually there, dear lady, I'm trying to remember her name now. Oh, uh, I can picture a, her in the house, roof. but I can't remember her name. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we actually set a table up right outside with our microphones. Mm-hmm. There were chainsaws in the background. There yep. was uh, students were up on the roof banging, trying to throw shingles off. They were doing work inside the house. Right. That was a great experience, and then the sweet lady came on the microphone with us, too, and we, we yeah. shared her story. Yeah. Anyway, before we get into that, so you had a little sabbatical with the family. Yes. So I've been at SOS now as the executive director for, it'll be 12 years this summer, and our schedule is kind of the opposite of the school schedule, so uh, I'm the busiest typically when my kids are out of school. And so uh, spending a lot of time with them in those times of year, year has been harder and just kind of talked to the board and said, you know, well, what would it look like to to take a little bit of an extended break away from SOS for a season? So we put a policy in place for all of our staff that have been there a certain amount of time. And so, yeah, this fall I was able to get away with my wife and kids for about three weeks. And then I had time off after that as well when we got back. But we just traveled and visited a lot of places out west and national parks and rode horses. And um, it's just a great time to connect with my family, kind of separate myself from work for a bit and be able to connect with them in a meaningful way and actually help me realize it took me about a week before I felt like I was fully disconnected yeah. from work and ministry and life in Memphis. And I asked myself the question, I said, man, have I ever actually taken a real vacation? So it's helped me even in coming back. I think it's been really helpful to help me find ways to more quickly, even on the day to day, when I get home from work in the evening, find things that I can do to shut my brain off from work for a minute, focus on my kids and my wife and not be constantly trying to juggle all that. So and were you still thinking emails and text messages? Yeah. And Well, I, I, you know, again, it took about a week before I was able to disconnect, but I set up a whole lot of stuff before I left where everything was auto reply. Everything was archiving. So I got back to an empty inbox. All my emails said, I won't read my response said, I won't read this email. So if you want me to see it, send it again after October. And um, so all of that was really helpful. Um, but yeah, even just the, 
you know, thinking of, well, thinking of ideas and, yeah. and what we need to do and all of that. Um, it just, it just takes a while to disconnect and be present really with your family. And so that time, what do you feel like God spoke to you about when you can kind of pull away? Because I guess when you get so intensely involved with the ministry in the stress of ministry too, mm-hmm. you know, the weight of it, cause there's a weight there. There's a, yeah. this is not like working a nine to five. There's a spiritual aspect of it that, you know, you're dealing with with really the complete person. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when you're engaging ministry like that for so long. Yeah. I mean, you can, you know, you can be in ministry and neglecting the ministry of your family. I mean, which, you know, I think a lot of people know. I think everybody in ministry thinks, oh, well, that won't happen to me. (laughs) And then sometimes it takes getting away to actually realize, wow, maybe I have been neglecting my family and caring for their spiritual needs. And, you know, it's not like, you know, not like we were doing super in-depth Bible studies with our family while we were gone. It was more just like the the emotional connectedness of being present with my kids and yeah. um, and sharing experiences with them that we'll, you know, I feel like hardly a day goes by since we did this traveling, which has been several months ago now, that we don't talk about some experience we had on the trip. Oh, remember my horse's name was this, or oh, remember that time that <laughs> you slipped and fell, or oh, remember this food we ate at this one place. You know, we're always kind of having those memories, and that's a fun way to really connect with your family and, and have that continue. So, Yeah, creating memories, you know, wherever mm-hmm. you are in the life of your family is so important. And that's like treasure chest, mm-hmm. you know, that you can go back to in life. That's, yeah. that's so unique. Uh, okay, so how long now has SOS been operating here in the city? Yeah, SOS started in 1986 out of Christ Church, Christ United Methodist Church. So 32, almost 33 years now. See, uh, that, it's interesting that you say that because that is the year that this radio station started here in Memphis. Huh. December yeah. of 1986. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And we, it started out of Christ Methodist and was kind of just a small grassroots ministry within the church, within the youth ministry for several years. Then it grew and kind of the missions department took over the oversight of the 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 program really at the time. And it wasn't until the late 90s that the church decided to kind of birth SOS as its own nonprofit so that we could reach beyond the walls of just the United Methodist Church and so that we could kind of expand our ministry. And honestly, it was getting big enough where the church felt like it needed to be its own nonprofit. So it was a very, it was a very peaceful sending. The church is still very supportive of our work, yeah. um, but we're now a, you know, not tied to any one particular denomination. We have church partners from all different backgrounds and denominations. So yeah, so started in 1986, became our own nonprofit, I think officially in 1999. Um, and then we moved into the facility we have on Poplar in, we bought it in 01 and moved in, started hosting our ministry there in 2002. And that building itself is like an historic landmark in the yeah. city of Memphis. I remember as a kid, because I grew up here in Memphis, oh, wow. you know, driving by and see. I'm trying to remember. It's been several different. Uh, well, it was originally it was a Buick dealership yep. back in like the 50s and 60s. Yep. And when we bought it, it was being used as like a jewelry warehouse, flea market type thing. When we bought it, there were still car parts on the second floor. The second floor was actually the auto mechanic shop. So there was a ramp that came down from the second floor, a concrete ramp, and they, you know, they had 1950s and 60s Buicks up there. So <laughs> you can imagine the the concrete floors on the place are so thick, and there's columns all throughout the first floor because it had to support the weight of yeah. old cars. Yeah, a great storm shelter, I guess. For you. <laughs> yeah, we don't. Yeah, it, when when a storm comes, we just stay put. We don't yeah. leave the building. So, <laughs> and so that's kind of been home for you now for a while, a mm-hmm. good base. And you know what's really to me is so incredible, Philip, about the work of SOS is the way. Well, first of all, your purpose, you guys. In your statement, you very plainly say that you exist to glorify God. Mm -hmm. I think if each of us would get on track with that in our life, no matter if we're in a ministry or wherever we are in life, that realize that our purpose 
on this earth is to glorify God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's been the heart of SOS, I think, since its founding was it's it's going to be a gospel-based approach to the work that we do. So the we want people to know the good news of Jesus so that God would be glorified. And the vehicle that God has given us and called us to, particularly at SOS, is we do that through home repair and leadership development. So it's not the only way that you can glorify God and proclaim the gospel. That's just the way that God has called us to as a ministry to, to do. For some, that might sound so out of the box. Or wait right. a minute, you mean you're not you're not <laughs> preaching, you're not handing out gospel literature. Uh-huh. There's nothing wrong with that sure, by, sure. by any means. Yeah, yeah. But you're finding a way to connect with people where they are. Mm-hmm. In the life of this lady I mentioned to yep. you, she's obviously on a fixed income. Yeah, A lot of these are single parents or single moms mm-hmm. that are working hard yeah. and trying to take care of their family. And they've got their homes around them are falling apart. Yep. So a lot of our heart for the work we do, we constantly are drawn back to Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20, where we read about the preeminence of Christ. Um, and at the very end of that passage, it, it says that ultimately that Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself. Essentially, that means that he came to reconcile or set right all that was broken by sin. And and when sin entered this world, it did not merely sever a spiritual relationship we had with God, though it certainly did that, but it literally infected and broke all of creation. And so Everything from disease and death and dying and hunger and racism and every, you, I mean, any ills that the world face is yeah. ultimately some way the result of the brokenness that sin has brought into this world. Jesus came to reconcile all of that. He didn't just come to wisp us up, you know, who cares about any of this other stuff. Jesus came to set right all that was broken by sin. And so for us, when we come into a home that is falling apart, that is occupying all of a family's thoughts and energy and they can't hardly do anything outside of deal with the fact that they live in a house that's not warm, safe, or dry, when we can remove barriers and restore broken things in this world, it is not just a means to get a foot in the door to talk about Jesus. That in itself, we really believe, is proclaiming God's kingdom and is saying, look, this is just a a tiny reflection of what God has done, but through Jesus, he is setting all things right. Yes. Back to our mission statement, that's at the heart of it, is is we want to we want to put God's glory on on display through meeting real needs of people um, in the name of Jesus. Philip, doesn't one of the Gospels relate the fact that all of the things that Jesus did while on earth, if you were to actually document those events and things he did, there wouldn't be enough books. Yeah. You couldn't do it because it's not all. We have, we have a, a glimpse mm-hmm. of what he did in the four Gospels. Yeah. So what I was thinking is him growing up as a carpenter. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know that there could possibly be how many times he used the fact that he might have repaired something in their home, their roof or something, yeah. as an opportunity to present the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, I mean, Jesus regularly, you know, he we read in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, he says, repent and believe the gospel. You know, the, the time is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. So he tells people, he calls people to turn from sin and trust in him. But then he also does things like heal people and feed the hungry and say the kingdom of God has come. You know, it's the gospel is this holistic renewal that Christ has brought and I believe that we're not faithfully proclaiming the whole gospel if we only talk about, you know, just turn from Jesus and he'll forgive you of your sins. Yeah. Like, we're missing this whole idea that he came to reconcile all things, all that has been broken by sin. So, yeah, it yeah. goes back too to that statement. I know you've heard countless times people don't really care how much you know till they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And this is what you guys do through SOS. That's really the work that you do, but how you mobilize Young people that come. When I was there in the Mitchell Heights neighborhood that uh, afternoon, there was a group from uh, 
Kansas City and the Kansas okay. area. They come from all over mm-hmm. the country. I don't know if they come outside the U.S., do they? I mean, no, mostly, yeah, just within the within the United States. So, yeah, we host. So the way we our primary program is this critical home repair um, that we provide for homeowners in Binghamton, the Heights, and Orange Mound, and we do that all with volunteers, uh, mostly college students, high school students, and middle school students. In spring break for the month of March, we'll host college students from all over the country come for a week at a time on their spring break for roughly four. We do about four different weeks of that because different schools have different schedules. In the summer, we'll do about seven weeks with high school and middle school students who come from all over again, and they, they'll come for one week at a time, and it's essentially like a week-long mission trip. So they're coming to Memphis, staying at our facility. The way I tell people is we're kind of like a summer camp, but we're not out in the country. We're in the middle of the city, and instead of riding horses and shooting archery during the day and other activities, we give our kids a hammer and say, let's go fix this roof. Yeah. So, so yeah, and then, of course, in the evening, we're, you know, we have a chapel worship service, and so a lot of the students that come and volunteer, you know, they're coming with a church group, but a lot of them through SOS for the first time kind of have their eyes open to see the gospel and see what Christ has done for them through serving and through giving back and yes. um, can really have a powerful experience there. So. Well, and especially in a time, well, I don't want to just indict teenagers because it's all the human race is guilty of being selfish. Service is ourself, typically. Right. You know, I mean, that goes for adults, whoever you are. I mean, once you start breathing on this earth, you know, that's when you start your selfish lifestyle. Right opportunities to see the needs of others who maybe not have the same that you have Mm -hmm. and then maybe able to reach out and and serve in these practical ways. It's got to be unsurmountable opportunities. Yeah. And it's really interesting because so many of our, so many, again, churches are bringing students to come and serve. So most of the students are coming with at least some sort of, some sort of idea of like, you know, I want to give back. I want to serve, you know, people need my help. And what's really interesting is they are, you know, people need to know about Jesus and so many of the families and homeowners that we work with, so many of them know and love Jesus deeper than I may never, than I may ever know. Um, they've known what it's like to really trust him to provide in ways that I've never had to trust him for. Yes. And so a lot of these students will come and they'll visit with a homeowner who, um, you know, has lived through the civil rights era or who has experienced all kinds of brokenness that maybe this kid has would never even dream of. And to see that person then trust in Jesus and follow him and put their faith in him, for a student to see that is kind of, you know, it's kind of cliche to say, well, I came to give and I ended up getting more back than whatever. But it's true. So many people, I think they look at neighborhoods like Binghampton, the Heights and Orange Mound, and they think, oh, everybody there, you know, needs Jesus because there's all they see all these problems. Well, it's like actually a whole lot of people there can teach us a whole lot about what it means to follow Jesus. That's a really beautiful thing when that happens, because not only does it help those who are coming to grow, but it also affirms the dignity of those that we're serving, right? It's not, it's not saying, you know, you have all these needs, let us come and take care of it. It's like, no, you have something to give too, and we want to receive that from you as well. And that speaks volume into, into a person's life as far as their dignity and their humanity to give them that opportunity. Totally. You know, and then basically we have to have respect for each other. That's the thing that SOS gives the opportunity for us to have. So March is big time of the year. Uh Uh-huh. But, I mean, this is ongoing. Even though when kids are in school, like for right now, mm-hmm. I mean, how does SOS function during times like this? Yeah. So, well, we joke a lot and say, you know, it's like a pastor. We only work on, you know, <laughs> pastors only work on Sunday. We only work in March, June, and July. Well, yeah. that's not true, obviously. We have to do a lot of work to prep for that. But we have, in the last decade, we've also rounded out some of our programming where March, June, and July are our big times when we host volunteers from all over the country to come and do home repair. We'll probably repair 40 homes a year in those three months. When you say repair the homes, exactly what do you do? What's with, the extent of repairing 
almost all of those homes, that's a total roof replacement. So ripping off all the old and putting totally new roof on. And then where we're able and where there's need, we are, we try to address other things other things to make sure that the home is warm, safe, and dry. So sometimes that involves blown in insulation in the attic. Sometimes it involves doing some work in a bathroom or kitchen to make sure that it's functioning. Sometimes it involves repairing some siding or painting to seal the house in. Um, but the primary, primarily what we do is roof replacement. And then only if time and funding allow and there's need at the home do we try to tackle some other things. So that happens in those three months. But the rest of the school year, we've got uh, several other programs. We have a, gosh, we're 10 or 12 years now into a program called the SOS Academy, which is a nine-month community development residency for young adults. So these are these are mostly college, recent college graduates who are interested in ministry in an urban context or, or um, community development type work. Um, they'll come live in Binghampton for a, a year or for nine months. We do some training and mentoring with them. They take some um, courses through MCUTs, and then um, and they, they get to work with one of our partner ministries to gain experience. So we have that, and then we also um, have an after-school program now called SOS Builds, which is a construction training and mentoring program for youth in Binghampton. So we've got middle school and high school kids in Binghampton coming for a um, time after school during the week, and they're doing project-based learning. So they're learning how to use all of these tools. They're actually building significant projects in the neighborhood that they design as a gift to the neighborhood, and they get to earn earn money when they're producing that product. So it's it's a really great tool to help them develop skills and prepare them to be in the workforce one day. Now, the work that you do on these homes, Philip, is this work in any way, do the homeowner, do they have to finance or provide any right. funding for that? No, that's a great question. No, there's no financial cost to the homeowner. We really view it as a partnership. And kind of what I talked about earlier, we never approach it with the mindset of, you just sit back and relax and we're going to do everything. We kind of approach it and say, look, you have things to offer. We have things to offer. What we're going to offer is a free roof replacement. Whatever you think you can offer, some of our homeowners will actually get up on the roof and help re-roof their homes or help with the, the work. Some will cook a meal for the groups that are there. Some will just spend time with them. Whatever the case may be, we want to make sure that the homeowners are investing in that in some way. Yeah. So it looks different with every homeowner, honestly. And you also said another key thing, too, when the funds run out or how much funds you have. I mean, right, right, right. buying materials for roofs and all these other supplies, I mean, that's got to be costly. Do these teams that come, do they actually contribute to some of that, too, or how does that work? Yeah, so all the groups that come, they actually pay us money to come, which blows people's mind. They're like, hey, you paid to come and roof a house? Like, how does that make sense? We call it camper tuition. It's basically, you know, you go on a summer camp somewhere, a mission camp, you pay. Typically, there's a fee. But that fee only covers about 45% of our income. So it's a good chunk, but we still have to raise bigger chunk than that. We do that through grants and individual donations, church support, various different ways. But yeah, it is expensive. I mean, because we can't take hand-me-down shingles. When you're doing work like that, we have to get quality materials. Right, right. And when you're re-roofing 40-plus houses a year, it's just a lot of money in materials and tools and kind of supervision of the volunteers and all of that. What's the application process for homeowners or those looking to have improvements in their homes? I mean, what do they have to go through? I mean, yeah. how do you determine which 40 homes a year you're going to do? Basic requirements are that they, it has to be a homeowner-occupied home. So we don't do rental property. We don't do vacant properties. It has to be a homeowner-occupied home in one of our partner neighborhoods. So Binghampton, the Heights, and Orange Mound. And we're really just kind of the western edge of the Heights. Um, um, we, we're not all the way into Graham Heights, but more like Mitchell Heights, Highland Heights area. Our application has a map that shows where the eligibility is. So have to be a homeowner-occupied home in one of our partner neighborhoods. And then from there, we start with roof replacement. So 
if someone, you know, if the only need they have is a handrail on a set of steps or something like that, typically that's not going to be a project we're going to tackle. We're trying to go for the bigger, again, a part of our philosophy is we only want to do projects for people. We never want to do for someone what they have the capacity to do for themselves. And a roof replacement is a big, expensive, physically demanding project that most people either cannot physically do themselves or financially pay for someone else to do right. in the areas where we're Well, working. like I mentioned, when I was there, the Mitchell Heights neighborhood a couple of years ago, there were chainsaws and, and work going on where shrubs and growth was being cut back, too. Mm-hmm. So you also engage in that, some of that? Yeah, and a lot of that is a factor of, you know, we've got trees and bushes that have overgrown on top of the roof or gotten up so close to the house that we can't get to the roof. So right. a lot of it is still involving the roof. Yeah. Um, but if we can't access the house and the yard and the roof because of uh, overgrowth, that's an easy project we can do alongside of roof that doesn't take a lot of extra dollars or manpower, you know, while we have the, the volunteers there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so once they apply, um, then we, we have a construction director on full-time staff, and he just uh, assesses the projects. They'll go visit with each homeowner that's applied um, and assess the need, assess whether it's a project that we can do or not, and then kind of filter it out from there. So, Philip, what about the difference you're seeing in the homeowners' lives. You invest your time with them, you know, and you build this partnership together to see their home transformed. What are some of the residual results you're finding based on these homeowners from their life or yeah. the relationships you build with them in the future? I mean, you've been doing this now, as you mentioned, for 32 years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm sure you have had to build some great relationships. Yeah, it's been really neat. Every experience with every family or individual is different. But yeah, I think one of the biggest things that we see when you live in a house that is not safe, it is hard to think about much else than that, especially if you have kids in the house. My wife and I, we live in Binghampton. Uh, my family, we've lived there the whole time, worked at SOS. And I remember a couple of times we would invite a neighbor to dinner, you know, hey, how about Friday night in a week and a half? You want to come have dinner with us? For some of those homeowners, the concept of they don't know what they're going to do tonight because it might rain and the roof might leak. And and that's all that you can think about. Yeah. And so this this idea of thinking beyond a day or making plans beyond what you're currently doing or doing something more with your family or your life than what you're currently doing seems to be stifled. And so when we remove a barrier like that, yeah. when we take away something that is a major preoccupation of an individual or a family, we worked with this one family. The girl grew up in this house. And then when she got older, um, her dad passed away and she got the house. She's married now. They have a couple young kids. She does not remember a day in her life when it rained that it did not leak inside that house for her whole life. And then for the first time for us to come in and be able to put a new roof on that house and her to be able to go to sleep. And her and her husband used to take shifts, like who would wake up to change the buckets out. And for them to just be able to go to sleep and get a good night's sleep when it rains, it sounds small, but that opens up a world of yeah. possibility. Oh, my goodness. Um, and so, yeah, so th- it's things like that. We've got one homeowner that is just such an incredible man, and he saw the way that we served. And ever since that summer, which has been like maybe five or six or seven years ago, Every summer, he comes by the office, gets a list of all the addresses where we're working, and he just drives around in his truck and visits with all the volunteers and homeowners and gets to know people just to be a friendly face in the neighborhood. He does that because he wants to give back, and he's thankful for what we did. So, it's you know, there's stories like that all throughout our history. Wow, that is so awesome. Well, and, you know, too, when you think about in my home, water's not coming through the roof. I'm not thinking about it. Right. You know? And so we've got to be open to think about other people. Yeah. Again, that's service over self. Mm-hmm. Even in the middle of our prosperity, in the middle of our convenience, we've got to consider other people. I mean, Jesus did that. He yeah. was our example for doing that. Yeah, working at SOS, I definitely have a different perspective on rain. <laughs> Every time it rains, 
I, you know, I never thought about it before. And now I think I wonder whose house is leaking right now. And so and we're actually recording our show today. Yeah. <laughs> it is gloomy outside. It's uh-huh. been raining very heavy storms yeah. and more coming this afternoon. Yeah. But I guess, you know, this kind of reminds you of that. Yeah, yeah. It really hit me at one of my first years here at SOS. I remember getting a call from one of my neighbors and uh, I was out on a date with my wife. And so I didn't didn't answer the phone and. It started raining. It was raining while we were on our date, and we thought, oh, this is, you know, it was fun for us because we're like, oh, my wife grew up in Arizona. Like, they never get rain out there. So for her, she loves the rain. We're sitting watching it rain. Oh, it's so pretty. Then I get home later that night, check the voicemail, and it's my neighbor who had called and said that water was pouring in her house. This was SOS ended up doing her roof like a year later, but at the time, she was just so worried, and it just clicked. It's like my wife and I are on a date enjoying rain because we don't have to worry about our house leaking, and here is my neighbor who is not enjoying the rain because it's coming in her house. And again, it, it's hard to not, it's hard, it's hard to enjoy. I, I want to enjoy the rain because it can be beautiful and, and nice to listen to, but there's always a thought in my head of there's someone out there who's not enjoying this because it's coming in their house right now. Wow. So that's a good word. Philip. That's sobering. <laughs> very sobering. Okay. Yeah. Now we talked about groups coming from all over the country to mm-hmm. participate in labor and give back to SOS. We don't have a lot of time. Our time is getting ready to go away here. But locally, the community we're talking to here on mm-hmm. Bot Radio Network in Memphis and the Mid-South area, there's yeah. still opportunities for others to connect with this work. Yeah. So the biggest way, we're not set up to host regular short-term volunteers kind of like throughout the year because we're doing things like total roof replacement. So the best way that even local churches can be involved is to sign up to come to a week of home repair camp, either with college students in the spring or high school, middle school kids in the summer. And many local Memphis churches do that. So we've got great partnerships here in Memphis. But also during the summer when we're hosting those camps, we we get one local church every week to adopt a week of camp and they're helping support in auxiliary ways. So they're Delivering popsicles to work sites when it's 100 degrees outside and kids are on roofs. They're doing laundry for our college summer staff. They're helping prepare and serve meals at night for our volunteers, cleaning, praying, things like that. So those are really most of the opportunities to get involved in what we're doing right now are surrounding our camps, either coming to camp or helping adopt a week of camp. Um, and those are really the biggest ways that local churches can kind of plug into what we're doing. Okay. What is the web address and what's the contact information? Yes, it's sosmemphis.org, sosmemphis.org. And that's that's got phone numbers and emails and all that. That's really the best place to go. Our address is 2505 Poplar Avenue right in Memphis. So if, if there's a homeowner out there listening and you live in our partner neighborhood and think, my, my roof is leaking, I could really use some help, Come by and see us. Go to our website and call us. Uh, there's an application on our website, or you can pick one up at the office. Or if you just want to know more or support our work, you can all do that through our website as well. So. Wow. Philip, it's always good to see you and get reacquainted with the work of SOS, yeah. doing a fantastic work in our community. Friends, please go to that website, sosmemphis.org, and learn more details. Also, if you want to make a financial contribution, there's probably ways you can do that. There's a button right on the homepage they can click and do that, or they can send us a check or whatever. So, Wow. Yeah. Philip, hey, thank you for <laughs> what you're doing kingdom-wise here in our city. Appreciate you stopping by with Bot Radio today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Hey, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I do appreciate you stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much.